Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I'm your host, Kristen Stovern, women's health clinician for over 20 years, practicing in all areas of women's health with a passion to educate, empower, and leave a legacy of better health for women. Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? This podcast today is again with Dr. Roberts. We had such a huge response the first time. We wanted to have another discussion that led a little more into hormones and gut health since so many of the listeners here are females. Sure, that has much to do with the fact that we both have been in women's health for a long time, but I really do appreciate your time today, Dr. Roberts, and I hope that we can give our listeners a little guidance on why our hormones are related to our gut. Hello. happy to. Good to be here today. Very good to be here. Well, have you had a nice busy day today? Oh, yes. My office days, especially on Mondays, are quite busy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are that way. So we'll get right into this because we really want to answer a lot of the questions we've had from listeners. And this one is top of the list. Why are hormones related to gut health? Well, that's pretty deep. I tell my patients all the time that hormones are really, it's a symphony orchestra. And I was taught in my training that each of the hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and women in particular, when you think of the cycling, it's amazing how almost like an orchestra, things flow and they're supposed to flow normally. The problem is just like with a stream that is flowing nicely, sometimes there's some turbulence that's brought in. And oftentimes the gut is really the source of that turbulence. It's not the only reason, but it is a common reason for sort of messing up the flow. A lot of that is because inflammation, a lot of our inflammation comes out of the gut. That then has a direct impact on cortisol in us, which I've always argued that if hormones are the orchestra, and let's say thyroid is the conductor, cortisol is the person who owns the entire orchestra and the building that they're playing in. Because cortisol is the king of all the steroid hormones. And if it's out of whack, and it is just directly linked to what's going on in the gut, it's going to mess up all of this sort of rhythmic pattern of hormone release. And this is why, especially in ladies, they struggle. I think one of the points that you made when I spent time with you last year that really hit home, and this is a very simplistic way to describe your very eloquent version, For those women that are out there listening, and men, you're absolutely important as well, just addressing a question that I've received many times, and Dr. Roberts did an excellent job making this very simple and understandable for really anyone. Estrogen, it's made primarily by ovaries. It's circulated in the body until it reaches your liver. So breast, tissue, brain, body, whatever. It reaches your liver, then your liver makes estrogen inactive. So then that estrogen goes into your intestines. And it's supposed to stay inactive. And most of that estrogen goes out of your body. A little bit stays, but most of it goes out, right? So we're talking about a healthy microbiome, referring back to our last discussion in the previous podcast. That's great. On the other side, if you don't have a healthy gut, that estrogen that goes through your liver then goes to your gut. It's supposed to excrete the estrogen. Instead, there's beta-glucuronidase, unhealthy bacteria-made enzyme in your gut, correct? And am I saying that right? That's correct. And that enzyme, which comes about because of stressors, correct? Yes. E. coli is the bacteria that makes that. And stress causes an increase in the E. coli numbers in the gut. So absolutely. So when that happens with that very long word, that enzyme, 
then that could make you hold on to that estrogen, reactivate yeah, it, it. Yeah, put it back in your body. Exactly. And there you have many, many issues within the body, whether Absolutely. it's, you know, we talk about estrogen dominance, which is just a phrase or a name people like to use, or we'll talk about adrenal fatigue or adrenal insufficiency or whatever autoimmune or endocrine related disorder you're talking about, it could potentially have started because instead of deactivating that estrogen and getting it out of your body, you're actually reactivating it in your gut and using it again. Am I saying that right? You okay. are. It is interesting that some of the metabolites that are cleared in your liver are actually quite active and sometimes even more active in tissues like the breast that we don't want it to be active in. Mm. And so when your liver is trying to clear these out through your gut, there is a process where it, it attaches a glucuronide group onto the estrogen to launch it out into the small intestine. So it's supposed to work its way out through a bowel movement, but in the colon, you're absolutely right. E. coli makes beta-glucuronidase. And anytime you hear ACE, it means that you're going to cut something off. Well, that means I'm cleaving off the glucuronide group, and now I have estrogen. Well, it's a hormone. It's a fat-soluble hormone, so you're going to easily absorb that back in. Remember, your body made an estrogen, and it did it to replace the estrogen it's trying to get rid of, but you just absorb that estrogen right back in. Now I'm in trouble because I actually have increased the level of estrogen and I've messed up that symphony that we just talked about. Well, and so to me, whenever I've heard you describe, again, much more eloquently than I did, but describe how we hold on to estrogen and you reactivate it and use it again, you have someone who's chronically constipated. Yeah, it's a setup. Right. Or has a pretty good diet, but then decides to falter off that good diet mm -hmm. and starts eating processed foods. And then they do develop this poor bacterial health in their gut and they reactivate that estrogen. For women, that this can mean changes in periods. This can mean being heavier periods, longer periods, more painful periods. We talk about whether it could be related to fibroids or endometriosis or polycystic ovaries. We could go on and on, but there are multiple reasons why our gut health influences our reproductive health, our female health, and for males can affect how they feel as well, how they sleep, how they think, how happy they are. I'm not male and I don't treat males in any way, so I can't speak of any expertise on this, but certainly can see that the same effect for men if their gut health is off would be similar. No, I agree. And again, so we're kind of going down two pathways. Not only is it a problem of if my gut health is not good, I have too much of this beta-glucuronidase, I get an increased reabsorption of something that I wanted to discard out of me, that's mm -hmm. a problem. But then take the next thing, which we talked about in our last podcast, which is histamine. And if I stimulate histamine release in my gut, which is much more common in patients who have high stress, high cortisol, et cetera, histamine will stimulate the excessive production of estrogen and so that also is going to be the other arm of this to add even more estrogen in to create that heavy cycle flow. Intense cramping is really classic with excess histamine, but it's all part of the same process. And most of it has to do, not all of it, but most of it has to do with, yeah, but if I had a normal gut flora, I could discard these things appropriately and I would be better. We actually have a treatment. We give patients something called calcium deglucurate. And it's kind of a sleight of hand. What you're trying to do is I'm occupying that beta-glucuronidase enzyme with something called calcium deglucurate. 
so that if you think about it, I can sneak by with my estrogen that has the glucuronidation conjugation piece to it, sneak by and go out with the bowel movement. I've seen several patients who have normalized their cycles just by taking this over-the-counter herbal supplement. I had one lady who had endometriosis with significant pain. She basically cleared her endometriosis pain. I didn't even believe this could happen just by doing calcium deglucurate. So these can be powerful. Well, and he's oversimplifying that just so you all know, these are patients that he's spent probably no less than an hour to hour and a half just getting an extensive history, doing a physical, then having blood work done, asking them to make certain changes first and really pulling the diagnostics together, having that person make these changes, then figuring out what might be the root cause of the issue this takes a patient who's committed to that and then them trying something in addition to all of the lifestyle changes you've advised. So he's not saying everyone go out and take this supplement by any means. And the point is, is that realize that sometimes understanding the why, then we can be empowered to feel better, do better and teach those around us to also feel better. Well, and as physicians or, or nurse practitioners, any clinician, We have to listen to our patients. And again, I use those stories. And you're absolutely right, Kristen. This was after a thorough workup. And we went through an extensive history with this person. And yes, we talked about, look, we've got to get diet. We've got to get exercise. We have to bring these things in. Deep breathing, simple things for relaxation Mm -hmm. techniques, really important. But I was so impacted by how powerful that little Because as you said, we understood the pathology or why this happens. Adding that one little over-the-counter herbal medicine worked better than any of the hormonal things that she had taken before she came to see me. And I'll be honest, I had her on some hormonal therapy too, progesterone, natural progesterone therapy as well. Honestly, I was able to take her off of that once we addressed this issue because this was her primary issue. That's awesome. So... What are some of the fastest ways to balance your hormones? So if you're walking in and you have this person who says, I don't have time to get all that blood work and go through all your special dietary restrictions, what are the things that that person can do to immediately start making changes to improve their hormonal health? Well, I guess, first of all, if they're going to come (laughs) in and they're going to tell me I'm not going to do this, 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 and this, it's going to be hard to get better if if my hands are tied. Having said that, Again, what I said about stress is huge. If you can do some simple things to address stress, cortisol to me is probably one of the biggest drivers of a dysregulated hormonal balance in both men and women. And you've heard me say this a thousand times, Kristen, cortisol is kind of water to put the fire out. Oh, I'm going to love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So if you have inflammation... Cortisol is water to put the fire out. But what if I don't have enough water with cortisol to put the fire out? Men have testosterone as an added form of water to put the fire out. Women have estrogen. And so, again, getting these balances so that you actually can defend yourself from the inflammation that's causing you to feel bad is trying to coordinate, again, a nice, as I said before, a symphony or rhythmic fashion of these hormones working together. And your gut is a huge factor in that. So one of the favorite stories that you tell is you have this fire and this fire, it started out just as a little tiny little Mm -hmm. spark. And then your body can't quite recognize that spark. Is that correct? So if you have too many stressors, yep, is that how it goes? No, it is. And again, I always tell people too, that you can spark the fire. 
The problem is we have this other little thing called gas. And if we turn the little key and we turn up the gas going to the fire, that little spark becomes a blazing flame. And so when we treat patients, we A, listen to where they are. Are you in flame? Are you at a spark? And it totally changes how we impact treating them. Because if they're in flame fashion, you're right. I may have to throw a fair number of things at them to quiet this fire down and then see after that, okay, now what can we do to keep this down? But I'm going to go right to lifestyle changes. It's going to be diet. It's going to be exercise. It's going to be relaxation techniques because I'm telling you, something as simple as breathing can help that. And sleep. I tell my, Kristen heard me say this a thousand times to my patients. If you have a four-legged table, okay, I always tell patients, God's number one, water's number two, food is number three, sleep is number four. It's that important. And your table will spill if you don't get good sleep. And your hormones will never be normal until you do that. Well, on that topic, so stress, of course, to me, reducing stress is number one. But the first thing I also address is sleep. How is your sleep? Stress and sleep are so synonymous. But when you sleep and get good quality sleep, that's the only time your cortisol is able to dump, correct? Or release from your system. Yep, that's exactly right. And honestly, what I tell patients, I use kind of an analogy. If you don't have good estrogen into your sleep cycle, if you broke your sleep cycle, an eight-hour sleep cycle into two halves, the first half of your sleep cycle, you should dip into what is a deep, slow-wave sleep about four times, three to four times. You'll do it one more time in the second half of the cycle. But I tell my patients, every time you go into deep, slow-wave sleep, you are flushing the toilet of your brain. You're literally clearing the inflammation out of your brain so that, again, I'm now able to get myself cleaned up to then repair and prepare for the next day. It's, I it's love that. Hugely so, so our quick things are exercise, watch your gut health, lower sugar intake, reduce stress, getting enough sleep, eating healthy fats, yes. and eating more vegetables, right? I agree. I got to tell you, Kristen, the fats part is important. Because we have in medicine scared people away from fats, Hmm. and it's such a mistake. Now, you can't eat the garbage saturated fats that we have, and I mean garbage ones, but there are good fats that you can get into you. And we have to understand that all of our cell membranes are made up of fats. We have to be able to get fats in us. And again, healthy versions of them can be crazy healthy for us and helping with some of the inflammation that leads to the high cortisol that leads to the messed up hormones. Right. So when we address overall health, improving health, which also can improve hormones, your hormones are along for the ride in everything that you do. So when you make the decision to exercise, to meditate, to get good sleep, or you make the decision to have late nights, eat junk food, and wake up and drink a Diet Coke, you're making decisions of ultimate sacrifice to your health or at the detriment of it. So you have someone come to you and you say, okay, I want you to do these things to try to improve your health. How long do you usually tell them if they're really consistent and they are doing all of those things to improve their overall health, to improve their hormonal health and gut health? How long do you tell them, okay, try this for this amount of time and you'll feel better? I typically don't make promises to patients, but I also tell them it's not going to be instantaneous. Again, you have to kind of commit. And I typically tell them this from working with me. I like three months. Three is a good number. And if you can give me three months of walking this pathway 
I can't promise you, but I'm going to tell you most of you to the tune of 75, 80% of you will basically normalize your symptoms because you've addressed the underlying problems. And again, by way of what we just discussed, exercise, good sleep, good dietary habits. Again, simple things like meditation, prayer, those are really helpful. So you have that patient come back in and they say, Dr. Roberts, I did all the things you said and my migraines are actually worse. And I just can't focus on a conversation. I wake up every night at three in the morning and I am so hot and sweaty. I cannot even stand it. And then I can't go back to sleep. I did all those things and I'm not better. So something else is wrong with me. So I'm not going to do it anymore. What do you say to that person? Well, I first tell them everything that you just described to me is a histamine excess, every single thing. And so if I can say, look, you just gave me a list of three things that tell me that you still have a histamine problem and what we've done has not directly impacted that. So that then would shift my conversation to how can we help you to clear your histamine better? Lots of us have genetic variants that don't allow us to clear histamine as well. Again, we may be eating foods that we don't recognize. We may have sensitivities to those will drive extra histamine. So the key is you can't give up on patients. Everybody's an individual. So it just makes my thinking cap go on a little bit tighter to find out, okay, well, where do we need to go next? But I would suggest in that situation, I would start talking about a histamine degrading probiotic, maybe adding, and again, a little nerdy, but diamine oxidase. It's how your intestinal cells clear histamine for you. Those are relatively simple things. I can't tell you how many patients, I just put them on a low histamine diet and do just a histamine degrading probiotic and they come back in and they say, oh my gosh, doc, I feel so much better. However, you also have had plenty of patients who have are doing the low histamine diet and take the probiotic that reduces histamine and helps clear it. And they're doing all of the lifestyle changes and they come back and they're so frustrated because they're not better. Yeah. Which just for background, we both live in Missouri. We're in the Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma area. Mm-hmm. And what then when you have that patient who's done all those things? In that setting, I would want to dig a little bit deeper. Again, mm-hmm. if they would allow me, it would be potentially some lab testing. I've found, again, I mentioned it earlier, that sometimes genetics testing, because it's become a lot less expensive, can be incredibly helpful. I just saw a patient today, we found something genetically, she's taking a specific supplement to address that. And it basically has changed all of the symptoms that she came in with. So I try to be simple on patients. I want to make it easy. I want to try to do as much as we can with lifestyle management. I think as long as you just let patients know, look, this is not going to be come in, I'm going to give you a pill and I'm going to send you out the door. Okay. We're going to try to look and find in and dig deep to find out the why. Mm-hmm. The thing that I learned in my fellowship is that you always have to ask, but why? And so I'm pretty undaunted. I, a lot of my patients, I have some that I've had to work like that. I've had to work very hard to try to find the answer, but you just have to keep digging because there is an answer. Well, and I think one that when you do your extensive intakes with these patients and many patients are reluctant to investigate certain parts of their life. And I think one topic that comes up for those that have done all of the modalities of change that you've suggested, their reluctance comes into when you start talking about their paint or their pipes or the soil or what's around them. And that's been some of the biggest we call in medicine zebras. So patients that are doing literally everything they can to be healthy and well and still have these chronic issues may also now have 
autoimmune disorders, whether it's Hashimoto's, some type of thyroid disease, psoriasis, eczema, chronic migraines, they may have lupus, other autoimmune disorders and inflammatory disorders that despite doing everything right, their symptoms don't go away. I think about the patient that really stands out for me. She had been coming to you for guidance for at least a year, maybe longer. And she lives in Oklahoma, or she did at the time. I believe she was really reluctant at first to talk to you about her environment saying, well, it's not really that. It's not that. We redid the house. We remodeled the house. We used all good products. And I believe she finally dug in because she still was having such chronic debilitating symptoms that because of maybe some mold toxicity testing mm-hmm. you did and metal toxicity testing you did, mm-hmm. where she's living is toxic. True. So to your point, you can do all of the simple things that oftentimes work for people, but there are other environmental triggers that most people don't think of. I see a lot of people with mold toxicity. I have to admit, every time I have a patient who comes in who's a teacher, one of the first things that pops into my head is I think about a potential mold exposure. Schools are notorious to be full of mold. We have a lot of patients who live in older homes that they like to fix up. That is a huge risk factor for patients. Again, heavy metals. We live in an area where they did lead mining for years. And even the zinc in the area, zinc can be good for you, but too much zinc can cause problems as well. So yeah, I mean, there are lots of environmental toxicants that can drive this too. It's just when you think about the thing that probably is the biggest trigger for histamine and mast cell release of histamine, it's mold toxicity. It's so interesting because I think that so many of us now, because even if you're in a building that's been remodeled, like the building that I'm in right now, it's a beautiful building. It's been remodeled, gorgeous, fresh paint, wood floors are refinished. If you look at it aesthetically, it looks very updated and pretty. But as you're saying that the pipes or what's behind those walls, what's in the vents, what's in the air, correct? Is are all culprits. Okay. No, absolutely. And again, you're right. I've had several patients that It's hard to get them to think about their home. And some of this, and I mean, I have to say this, is that they're a little bit concerned about the cost of finding that out. In other words, I may agree as I tell them these symptoms sort of match with potential mold exposure. They then start thinking about, ooh, do I have to go home and talk to my spouse about this? How much money is this going to cost? Can we afford it? Those are hard discussions, but the bottom line is mold is incredibly toxic to us and can drive all of these problems, including hormonal problems. So I think not to overwhelm our listeners, but what we're trying to do when having this discussion is talk about ways that every day that you can be empowered to improve the health by addressing what's around you. So there are simple and expensive ways to improve the paint in your house, your sleep quality, food, supplements that you take how you move in your life, your exercise patterns, your sleep patterns, your breathing patterns. And so no one's suggesting that, no, you can't work in that school anymore, but there are ways, correct, that they can still work in that old school, but also reduce the symptoms that they have. And that's where functional medicine comes in. That's exactly right. The reality is, right, if I've got a young school teacher, I've got one who came to see me from out towards the Rolla area and she is a school counselor. Well, she's relatively young and this is part of their income for the family. So we obviously can't have her stop her job and she's not going to be able to make the school fix the problem. But the key is we help to support how she cleans herself out as she's on her way home and while she's home Mm -hmm. and keeping her home environment as clean as possible 
sometimes as much as just putting a HEPA air purifier in your bedroom. They're not that expensive, but breathing good, clean air for eight hours at night when you're sleeping, again, go back to what I said about good sleep and good deep sleep helps to clean or flush out all those toxins in your brain. That has a huge impact on a lot of people. Because I have a lot of patients that I take care of. It's just going to be an ongoing process of, mm-hmm. as you said, supplementation and all of these sort of workable factors to keep them as mm-hmm. clean as we can. Well, and your patients are so lucky to have you because so much of the difference you're making is because you're taking the time to really ask so many questions and spend the time to investigate and dig and dig to try to find the why, the root cause. And ultimately, when we find the root cause or attempt to find the root cause, many times patients can get better on their own. You just give them the tools. Exactly right. Right. I mean, in medicine, we've lost our way. I think the average clinician spends about seven minutes with their patient. And most of them, 90% will already have a preconceived notion about what the diagnosis is on the patient before they ask the first question. The first thing I do with my patients when they come in new is I just sit down and I say, all right, just start from the beginning. Wherever you want to start, you just start telling me your story. And what I do is I just shut up and listen. It's amazing how many of them will tell you exactly what's wrong with them It just makes my job that much easier. Well, and you do it in such a great way. When you go through the questions or when they're discussing, it's, well, about how many hours of sleep do you get at night? How long does it take you to get to sleep? When you wake up in the morning, how do you feel? What do you eat through the day? How do you manage your stress? Do you move your body? Right. Do you take any herbal supplements? Sometimes when, say, listening to this podcast, you think, okay, I'm going to go just get some supplements to try to feel better. Just because it's a supplement doesn't mean it's going to be the right one for you. Just like all medications aren't right for you. And there are some patients who need prescription medications. So that long interview process where you just listen and let them dialogue is why you're helping so many people. And they're so fortunate to have you. Before we go, I just want to just touch briefly on the topic of probiotics. All probiotics are not created equal. And not everybody should be taking just any probiotic. But why? Why do people need to take probiotics? What do they do? That's a great question. And there's been a lot of debate about probiotics. And we're actually getting to a point now where we have different actually labeled subgroups of probiotics that do specific things. There's a really neat probiotic combination now that lowers a woman's risk for recurrent bladder infections, which is cool. That's kind Mm -hmm. of where the technology is heading. The other thing is that when we say probiotics, we always think of the classic ones that we can get even at, at Walgreens. They'll have lactobacilli or bifidobacter species in them. The, the issue, though, is that a lot of patients have an overgrowth of yeast, and there are some anti-yeast probiotics that we can have. My favorite is a group that are called soil-based probiotics because these are really neat. These bacteria will survive You could literally have these in your hot car all summer long, and they'll be as good as the day you bought them because they're in spore form. Once they're in your colon and they've bloomed, they will do what's called quorum sensing. Look at all these pathogenic bacteria. These bacteria will saddle up to the pathogenic bacteria, make antibiotics to selectively and surgically kill and remove the bad bacteria. They then muscle up to the good flora that are dormant because they can't compete with the pathogens for food. They feed them prebiotics to get them blooming again. It really is God's way of giving us a wonderful probiotic 
that actually helps to restore our natural gut flora. So to your point, I listen to my patients. I see what a lot of their symptoms are. I then try to correlate what probiotic group should we spend a little bit more time with or more volume of dose with as compared to the other. And it's just amazing how much benefit. We've learned that the probiotics literally talk to your bacteria. This is relatively new. Even if they're dead, they have exactly the same messaging to your bacteria, whether they're dead or alive. It's interesting. It's very interesting. And we don't have time to have the discussion today, but that's also why people can get yeast overgrowth or bacterial overgrowth is for the same reason. When you have this collection, whether it's dead or not, and it's yeast, that's still sitting there and it's still doing something that is not going to be great for you if it's overgrowth of yeast, for example. And not all probiotics are created equally. So I'll have patients say to me frequently, oh, I take a probiotic, but I had to stop it because it makes me constipated. Or I have a probiotic, but I just get nauseous when I take it. When I ask what type it is, Uh maybe what species are in it, most do not know. And I think regarding what you're just saying, there are probiotics that are phenomenal for the right person. That's right. With the right type of probiotics in it. No, it's really true. I've actually got, because I've mentioned before that I have kind of a probiotic clean out protocol. I literally have six renditions of that now. And my reason is if I have a patient who's high histamine, I have one that addresses kind of their high histamine. I want bacteria that will chew up histamine while I'm restoring their gut flora. If I have somebody who's a little bit more on the side of, I've got too much candidal overgrowth, boy, I'm going to layer in even an anti-candidal treatment with the Saccharomyces boulardii or whatever else I use. So I have to kind of create little, what I call mini protocols that my patients know that I give them this printed sheet and I mark all over it because I'm changing (laughs) what I do for them. Well, because again, everybody's an individual. We need to think of them that way. That's right. Well, and say in the middle of them starting this probiotic and all of these changes, they have a major illness during that time or even get the stomach flu, then it's going to set you back and you're not going to respond to that same supplement the same way. And so being aware that our bodies are also changing and adapting and adjusting to whatever, again, external or internal stressors there are. So I love that you're marking through the list and changing it based on the patient. You have Yes, to. for sure. So I really, again, appreciate your time today. And I hope all the listeners will please send us any questions, any extra information you'd like. I will tag what I can in the show notes over what we discussed and supplements he mentioned. And if you have further questions, we'd love to hear from you. Neither of us are here to give you medical advice. Just want to try to open up the conversation to each individual to try to get to a better life and a better legacy for those after us. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Roberts. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And I can't wait to talk to you again and hear more about all the new things that you're doing. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Why Am I Just Finding This Out? We are facing a crisis in women's health. It is time to be seen and heard. It is time to address medicine and wellness for women holistically. And whatever we do, let's strive to leave a legacy of better. Thank you. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests, qualifications, or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult your healthcare provider.